you have your Bible, you want to turn to John chapter 13, we will continue on in our study of the book of John, our series called The Word. And uh, before we do that, a lot of times I like to start with a question. And so I just want to say, is anyone else a sucker for good advertising? Like, I'm kind of a sucker for good advertising. You got a favorite company and they come out with a new and better product and I just go, man, I got to have that. I got to have it. Will any of you admit that you're one of those people that have stood in line for a new product? Like you've like the new Xbox release or the new PS5, right? And there's people out on the sidewalk waiting for that. Like, or the new iPhone release. Have you ever been one of those sad kids in a sleeping bag on a sidewalk? Right? Waiting for the next slippery germ brick, right, to come out? Got to have the new thing. The latest, the greatest. If you got the old thing, you want the new thing. We can do all these mental gymnastics in our brain to justify why the old thing isn't quite good enough anymore and I need the new thing. But it's funny because when you get the new thing, like a new phone or whatever it is, it has, it's claiming to have all the great new features. It has this uh, completely new schnazzy redesign. But when you get it, have you ever been a little disappointed? Like you get the new phone, right, and you're like, all you did was move some of the buttons or get rid of it altogether. It's, it's not really all that new. You just made it harder for me. You got rid of all my, old, all my old adapters and all my old cords. They no longer work. Now I need a backpack for all my new cords and all my new adapters. Car companies are amazing at selling the new thing, right? All new for 2022, the Chevy Cruze. All new redesign. And like you put different wheels on it and you move the taillights a little bit. That's all you did to it. And today we continue on in the book of John, like I said, and Jesus is going to introduce something new. But when you hear it, when you read it, you're going to go, is it? Is it new? Is it really new? And so today as we unpack the scriptures, as we unpack the text, we're hoping to discover why Jesus calls this commandment new. And so, I hope today that we see the beautiful and profound nature of this new command and that we do some deep searching, some deep examination of our hearts and our lives to make sure that the living of our lives, right, as believers, those who've been purchased by the blood of Jesus and the word of God, his commands and his expression of who he is and how we are to live, those who are found in him, that those two things Line up beautifully, okay? So let's read our text together. John chapter 13, verse 31. It says this. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, here it is, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter said, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, Answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? 
Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Before we do anything else, let's pray. Father, again, we thank you and praise you. I thank you for this moment, God, for your church to gather, to lift high the name of Jesus, to worship you. I thank you for this moment that we can gather in our week to hear the word of God. So God, I pray for humble hearts today. I'm just going to pause for a minute. I sometimes do this out in Lake Country. This is going to be weird. No, it's not that weird, okay? I want you to pray right now, okay? Pray for this service. Pray for this sermon. Don't pray for me. Pray for you. Pray for your heart. Pray for the Spirit to move in your life. Have an expectation for this moment, okay? You guys pray. Father, hear those prayers. Pray for humble hearts, honest assessments, and bold repentance. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so our text starts off today, and it says, Now the Son of Man will be glorified. Now is the Son of Man glorified. God is glorified in him. This is much like chapter 12. If you remember some of what Pastor Tommy has unpacked in chapter 12 is now is the time. For much of Jesus' ministry, it's like not yet, not yet, not yet. The hour has not come. My time has not come. But we know that in this text, we are in those last few days of Jesus' earthly ministry. He is going to the cross and now is the time for the glorification of the Son of Man. That Jesus is going to be glorified through obedience, through the obedience to the Father going to the cross to give up his life as a ransom for those who would believe. And as he says this, he offers up a new command. Now, I'll just say this. We as a people, if you're anything like me, which I think you are, I don't think I'm that weird or that strange or that odd. You don't have to say anything about that. I don't think I'm that different than all of you. And I have a real problem with people telling me what to do sometimes. Anybody else? Right? When somebody gives you a command, when someone gives you something to do, they tell you what to do, that you should do this, that you need to do this, there's something in me that like bucks up, right? Like rises up. Like, who are you? Like, how, what, what authority do you have in my life to tell me what to do? How many of you know when Jesus purchases your life, he purchases all of you, right? And Jesus is glorified in going to the cross to be that sacrifice, to pay the debt of sin. But his um, surrendering to the Father's will, his dying happened way before he went to the cross. Like the fact that he came and left an exalted position, the fact that he came and left heaven and put on flesh and came to this earth, right there he said yes to the Father. He died to himself. And for me, like like when I hear this, I have to remind my heart that yes, that there are commandments that have been given over my life. I have been commanded This isn't a suggestion. This isn't just, hey, if you get around to it or when you feel like it, 
I am commanding you, Jesus is commanding his disciples, commanding them to love one another as I have loved you. We are a people under authority. We are a people under the authority and the love and the grace of Jesus. And he has a beautiful, profound, seemingly simplistic command of loving one another. And so, make no mistake, we are a people under the authority of Christ. But when you heard this morning's text, as I said, kind of in our setup, kind of in our introduction here today, when you heard Jesus say a new commandment I give to you, did you think, really, like, really is it new? Like, I've heard this before. I've heard this one before. Love one another. What's so new about love? What's so special or revolutionary about this command to love? And I hope that's what we discover this morning. And so in verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just just as I loved you. And as I mentioned, we have this wonderful example. Like, I'm really slow to, to press into the life of Jesus, the, perf- the perfect life of Jesus as like this example for us to, to follow because um, I'm often filled with despair because I just can't do it. Anybody else, you like, you see the perfection of Christ and you're like, you know, WWJD, be like Jesus. And you're like, ah, I just can't. It, it's too hard. He's too perfect. I'm not. But we do have this beautiful example in Christ of what real, real, act, like not just real, like, like extraordinary, but like what real love actually is. A new commandment I give to you, verse 34, that you love one another just as I loved you. And so God, propelled by love, motivated by love, for God so loved the world that he sent, that he gave his son, that that God put on flesh, right? John 1, way, way back, months ago, when we started this book, the word, the eternal God, put on flesh and dwelt among us so that we might behold his glory, that we might see what God is all about, what God is like, that we might know his nature and his character and how we who have been redeemed by him are to walk and act who follow him. This God who is love, he is love, by the way, First John 4. He's the definition of love. We wouldn't have a clue of what love looks like without his beautiful grace. You look around this world, you look around this culture, it's just, this culture is trying to like redefine everything, isn't it? Reestablish, deconstruct, dismantle everything. All of these God-ordained and God-designed institutions trying to redefine everything and even trying to redefine love. Something as pure and simple as so. But this God who is love, this God who is holy, this God who is perfect, He's the righteous creator. He loved the world so much that he came down to show us what love is all about. He put on flesh, the corruptible. He felt the pains of the world. He felt the pain that you feel. He felt the temptations that you feel because he loves you so that we might behold his glory, that we would see him 
and that we would believe. I know Pastor Tommy's reminded you countless times over the last few months the purpose of the book of John, right? It's found in John chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not recorded in this book, not written in this book, but these are written so that you might what? Believe. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have what? Life in his name. The whole reason why God came, the whole reason why it's all been recorded so wonderfully for us is that so we would believe, that we would see and behold him, that we would see and cherish him and treasure him above all else. And that by that believing, we might have life, eternal life. God loves us. motivated by his love for us, he came into this broken world. Yes, to go to the cross to redeem us, but he came to this world to show us what real love, God-defined love, this new commandment of love, what it really looks like. This is a new commandment because it's a love just as he has loved his disciples. When you think about that, we have a very real example right in our text. You guys covered it the last two weeks. John chapter 13, what did Jesus do for his disciples, right? They're having this meal together. Jesus gets up from the table, takes off his outer garments, puts a towel around his waist, grabs a basin full of water, and I could just see the disciples going, what is he doing? What, like, what is he up to? Like, what, he's not really grabbing water, is he? He's not really, comes to Peter. Peter's like, no, you can't. You can't wash my feet. That's reserved for the slave. That's reserved for the servant. You are teacher. You are master. You are Lord. What are you doing? He goes to the most objectionable part of a person. Pastor Tommy covered this, right? The feet, the dirty streets, the animals that would trash these streets. He goes to the most objectionable part of a person. He washes Their feet, the thing that was reserved for slaves and servants, the master, the teacher, the rabbi, but even bigger than that, God himself washed their feet. That's what real love looks like. That's what makes this commandment so new. It flips everything on its head. Yes, a servant is expected to do that, but I am God. I am king. I am creator. And what I'm doing is showing you what love looks like. Not just good servant leadership, but what love really looks like. Peter says, you shall never wash my feet in verse 8. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you will have no share in me. Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head, right? What a beautiful thing. Right? It's literal. It's literal love. It's literal service. It's literal washing feet. But what a beautiful picture of what Christ does for mankind. That if he doesn't cleanse us, if it's not him who washes us and makes us clean, we have no part in him. I just want to encourage you today. Sometimes we're riddled with our past. Sometimes our past is kind of haunting and nagging. All these horrible reminders of failures and sin. If you're in this place today, 
Just understand how much he loves you. He would go to the most objectionable part of a person, right? The feet. All the most objectionable parts of you, he is not afraid of. He will actually get down on his knees and cleanse them. So whatever you're going through, whatever you've been through, however dirty and dark and scary your past is, Jesus washes it all. He has to. And he loves to. That's why he came. That's what's so new about this love. This real love is countercultural. It's upside down. When I look at the world's love, when I see the love that is found in the world, <clears throat> it's not this love. The, world, the, the love that I see in the world is very transactional. Do you know what that's all about? you understand what that is? I'm going to love you. I'm going to do this for you, but I'm also going to look for this in return. Sound familiar? We don't say it often because that sounds too selfish and self-absorbed, but uh, like in your mind, sometimes this is what happens. This is that transactional love that happens, and it's really not love at all. I see it, unfortunately, in marriages all the time. Any married folks in here? Come on. Any married folks in here? Okay. You can woohoo about that. Just so you know, I'm a big woohoo guy. If you remember back in the day when I was here all the time, right? It'd be like, hey, women's group is happening. Then the ladies would be like, yeah, woohoo, right? It's okay. You can woohoo in church a little bit. And marriage is something to woohoo about, something to get excited about. But have you ever had, like, do you remember, like, getting married um, and, like, people give you advice as you're, like, Coming up to that point, I actually was talking with a young couple this morning who just, just got engaged. So awesome, so beautiful. You're going to have people give you advice, just so you know, even if you don't want it. Like, people are going to give you advice, and well-intentioned people give some really bad advice sometimes. The worst one of all, I think, is a good marriage is give and take, right? Like, people like to call it compromise or this or that. Good marriage is all about the give and take, 50-50. When you give and take becomes transactional, just so you know. It becomes not real love because when I give, I expect to get back in return at some point. What you end up doing is keeping score. You don't say it. You don't actually have a tally sheet next on the nightstand, maybe. Hopefully not. But in your brain, you're going, I did this, and so I should get to do this. I did this, and so maybe she'll let me do this, or she'll do this for me. It's not love. There is, there is no take in love, just so you know. There's only give. There's only give. When I look at Christ, there's only give. He came and he gave. God so loved the world that he gave. And he gave. And he gave. There is no take. Our marriage problems are often masked by things like communication issues. But they're really gospel issues. They're understanding the love of Christ for you and understanding living the new commandments of loving just as I love you. There's only give. The beautiful thing about this, now just for, for those of you who are like, yeah, but if I'm always giving, like, uh, I'm just going to be drained. And Here's the thing. Two beautiful people who love Jesus, both giving 100% to each other, 
Like when my wife gives everything to me, I have no need to protect myself. I have no need to desire anything because she has given everything to me and she has no need to desire anything else because I have given, like, it works beautifully. Ephesians chapter 5 is clear. Husbands, love your wives as what? As Christ loved the church and what? Gave himself up for her. Love as I have loved you, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to Christ, as you would to Christ. The way that you experienced the love of Christ and you gladly and willingly surrendered your heart and your life to him, so do to your husband. It's not popular in this day and age. Makes everyone a little bit nervous. Serve your husbands as you would Christ, because this is love. There is no take in love. There's only give. So here's the thing. That I've, something I discovered actually in our, um, our stewardship series a couple months ago. I was looking through the scriptures, and I was writing, working on a sermon, writing a sermon, and I realized something, that God is the ultimate giver. And we say that all the time, but this is very, very, like, this is kind of changed the way I think about things. And I don't think people believe it. I don't think people in this room, people who've been Christians for a long time, that they know, that they know, that they know that he is ultimate giver because they think that God in some way is a taker. Like when you see some of the demands of scripture and the laying down and the laying down of your life, right? Take up your cross and follow me. Like sometimes that is like the temptation is to go, oh, that's going to hurt. That's, he's taking everything from me. He's taken everything from me. He's demanding my entire life. You have to behold Jesus. You haven't beheld him enough. Because the beautiful thing about Christ is he is not some king that is going to like put his thumb on the back of your neck and force you to die, force you to submit But what he does is he loves you. He washes feet. He goes to Calvary. And he woos you with his love. And you see that he is the ultimate giver, that he is not a taker, but that he has given everything for you. And when you behold him as such, when you see him as giver, when you see the beautiful example of this new commandment, as love as I have loved you, what you do is I sell everything for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, my Lord. I will give up everything and I will purchase that field. I will, it is my greatest treasure. He is my greatest treasure, my greatest joy. And I will gladly hand my life over to him. You must behold Christ. Otherwise he's taker. Otherwise you'll see him as taker. He is not a taker. He is the giver of everything. He is the giver of life, the giver of the most abundant life. This new commandment to love as Christ is love is born out of service. That beautiful example of washing feet, 
we don't humble ourselves and die to ourselves, we will not love as Christ has loved. This is one thing that I love about our text over the last couple of weeks. If you go back to John chapter 12, right? Um, Jesus is saying that the hours come. It is now time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Verse 23, it says, Jesus answered them, The hours come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Right? He's talking about himself and what he's about to do. And then he continues on to uh, talk about his, his followers. Whoever loves his life will lose it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternity. For eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there will my servants be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. We will not love like Christ if we don't serve like Christ. And we will not serve like Christ unless we die like Christ. Unless we follow him in that death. When we see and behold the surpassing worth of him and gladly lay our lives at his feet. In a couple more weeks, we'll be in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 12 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Same thing. Exact same phrasing almost. Probably the same night, the same discourse. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. To lay down your life. So many times I think we think of that, you know, I'll take a bullet for you, man. Right? To lay down your life. Like we have this very romanticized view of what it means to lay down our life. That when push comes to shove, man, I would die for you, bro. I would die for you. Yeah, how about you grab your truck and help me move a couch? A little busy. (laughs) A little bit busy. To love like Christ. We need to serve like Christ. To serve like Christ, we need to die like Christ. Came across a great quote a couple weeks ago by John Piper. It says, my dying for your salvation is also my design for your imitation. My dying for your salvation is also my design for your imitation. What's beautiful about Jesus, have you ever had someone ask you to do something that they would never do themselves? Ever had? That's pretty annoying, right? Someone's like, hey, can you help me out, bro, and do this? And you know, like, they would never do it, whatever it is. Jesus isn't like that. He is the first fruits. He has done all of it. He has done all of this. Washing feet, dying to himself, dying. Like, he has done it all. Jesus shows his love by washing feet, by his service, by saying, yes, to the Father, yes to his will, time and time and time again. And it brought him all the way to the cross. All the way to the cross. Pastor Tommy's reminded you of this text in the last couple of weeks. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is also yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to hold on to, but he emptied himself. He took the form of a servant being born in the likeness of sinful man. 
became obedient to the cross. Jesus said yes to the Father in coming to earth. He said yes to the Father as he walked this earth. He said yes to the Father as he died on the hill of Calvary. We must die to ourselves and say yes to him daily if we ever want to understand this new commandment of love. There's a threefold thing that happens when you love like Jesus. There's a couple of real practical points in this. When you actually love like him, when you actually love in action, love with service, ending your life, ending yourself in loving like Christ. First one is this, is that love reconciles. Love reconciles. Love is the great reconciler, right? Christ loved us so, right? The love of Christ displayed in him dying, going to the cross. It reconciled us back to the Father, right? If something is not reconciled, it means that it's out of relationship. It's out of congruency. If you have a relationship that is estranged, if you have a relationship that is off the rails, that it is just tense and awkward, love is the key. Love is the answer. There was nothing that was um, bigger than our sin, more formidable than death. And Christ and his work on the cross, his blood that was poured out that atones and covers us and reconciles us, makes us back in right relationship with the Father. Love reconciles. It'll do the same in your relationships, just so you know. If you love like this love, if you love the way that Jesus loves and wash some feet, just so you know, it'll reconcile. Yeah, but Kevin, you don't understand. They don't deserve it. They did this. They're awful. They're horrible. She says this and he does that. Your sin was pretty bad too. And Jesus got on his feet, got on his knees, and wash Judas' feet. Love. Maybe they're not your enemy. Maybe they are your enemy. Love. Love like Jesus loved. Galatians 5.24 reminds us that those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So number two, the, the other thing that love does Loving like Jesus does is that when you love like him, when you serve others, when you put uh, them first, prefer them, when you love like Jesus loves, it puts another nail in my flesh. How many of you know that the old man is pretty sneaky? Right? The old man is pretty sneaky. That old flesh creature of mine likes to rise up once in a while. When I serve, when I end myself, when I die to myself, I put another nail in that old man, in that flesh. You want victory over sin? Serve. You want your house and your, your uh, marriage to be better and fuller and more the God designed? Love. Serve your wife. Yeah, but she does this. I don't care. Serve her. Stop justifying your sinful actions by what the other person has done. How many of you do that? Anybody? I do that. I do that. I'll admit that. I do that. They did this. I respond, not in the gospel. I feel justified because they did this. I'm wrong. I'm sinful. Stop it. Love them. Sorry, that was pretty blunt. Number three, just as Christ was glorified in the cross, 
Another thing that loving like cross, this new command of loving like Jesus does, is we bring glory to Christ as well. We bring glory to God as well, right? Christ went to the cross. He died to himself, and he showed his love by laying down his life when we lay down our lives in love through acts of service. By actually doing love, we bring great glory to Christ. Our text today says that the church of Jesus Christ will be marked, will be known by this love. Will be known by this love. It is my prayer that we get this new commandment. That we bring great glory to Christ. That this church, these people, us, we bring glory to Christ together. But as I kind of laid all this out, it sounds impossible, right? It sounds pretty tough. It sounds simple. It's like one of those things that's real simple but really hard. Like it's kind of like you get it on the surface, but to actually do this, to actually die to ourselves and to serve one another and to love each other in this way sounds really hard. The beautiful thing I know about Christ is that he doesn't just call you to something that, one, he hasn't already done, as I already said, and two, that he doesn't provide for you 100%. That Christ empowers us to live this love. You'll never, ever, ever be able to do this in your flesh. You'll never be able to live a Christ-like love in our own, in our own nature, in our no own abilities. But praise be to God, he has given us his spirit. Praise be to God, he has given us himself. And so there is no shortage of power to overcome the old man, to overcome the old flesh, to overcome the old ways, and to live this type of revolutionary love. This new love that is so impactful, so world-changing, that the church of Jesus Christ should be marked with. There is no shortage of power because Christ himself is inside of us. What's our excuse then? There's no excuse. There is no excuse. Jesus knew that we would struggle. Jesus knew that we would look at this and go, oh, it's way too daunting. I cannot die like this. He had the solution, and it's in himself. And I can't wait to get to the next few chapters of John. Right? When you look at John chapter 14, he's going to promise the Holy Spirit. That will not only just be with you, but he's going to be in you. He's going to promise the Holy Spirit. How awesome. John 15, he's going to talk about abiding in him. Right? Those who abide in me, they will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can't do this. Apart from me, you can do nothing at all. But he's in us. But he walks with us. He lives in us. He whispers to our heart and says, hey, Kev, that's your old man. That's your old flesh. Crucify that. Remember this, I'm with you always. Remember this, I've given you my spirit. When I think about this kind of love, I think about dying to myself. I think, like, what a miracle. But praise be to God, he does miracles. Praise be to God that the old man... I was once dead in my sin. I was once dead in my transgressions. But God, who is rich in mercy, made me alive together with Christ. That's a miracle. And so as we wrap up this morning, as the band comes, I'm going to pray. 
and we're going to respond. And those prayers that you prayed at the beginning of this message, the ones that you prayed in your own, your expectations for this service, now's your chance to respond. Because I know the Holy Spirit is faithful. I know the Holy Spirit is faithful to his word. I know that the Holy Spirit is faithful to his church to speak and to move. And I trust that you'll respond to him. Some of us in our lives, there's some deep repentance that needs to happen. There might be people in this room that you need to apologize to. There might be people that you drove here with that you need to apologize to. That's okay. But as the Holy Spirit has moved you, as the Holy Spirit has prompted prompted you today, now you have to do something with that. And I love the fact that we have this time at the end of service like this where we can have some worship music together. We can have some prayer together. The prayer teams will be available in the wings. And we can respond to the Holy Spirit. We have this opportunity to respond, to repent, to turn, to, to, to allow the Spirit to work that work in us deeply so that we truly can be the church of God. Marked by this love that my believers, my followers will be marked with this type of love, this new commandment I give to you self-ending love.